What Brings You In Today is produced by medical students at the University of Wisconsin. As medical students, we are not fully trained physicians or licensed to practice medicine. The information presented here is for entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, treatment, or education. To preserve privacy and maintain patient confidentiality, identifying details about patients were changed for this podcast. All opinions expressed belong to the speaker, not their institution or employer. Hi, I'm Angie. And I'm Haley. And this is What Brings You In Today, sharing stories and experiences from within the medical field. So tell me, what brings you in today? We'd like to offer our listeners a warning before the start of this episode. This interview contains discussions about mental illness and suicide, which some listeners may find distressing. If you or your loved ones are experiencing thoughts of suicide, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-TALK. In this episode, we are joined by Dr. Justin Bullock, who discusses his experience as a medical professional with bipolar disorder and shares excerpts from his piece titled, Suicide, Rewriting My Story, which was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2020. Intern year is a marathon. It's an analogy I've heard often and one that resonates with the runner in me. Both intern year and marathons has a way of revealing vulnerabilities and breaking even the strongest amongst us. Overwhelmed by sick patients, night shifts, goals of care meetings, medical hierarchy, microaggressions, and feelings of inadequacy, even the most solid interns can falter. As an intern with a mental illness, I approached the starting line knowing that at some point my vulnerabilities would be exposed and that hitting the wall was inevitable. I didn't know when, but if my history of mental illness was any indicator, my crash would be bad. All right. First of all, thank you so much for joining us today, Justin. You start off this piece by painting this really vivid picture of yourself and your setting as a medical trainee, a person with a mental illness, a long distance runner, sort of towing the line in this moment of calm before starting this really grueling but important journey. Can you start off by reorienting us and our listeners to who you are and your current role? Sure. Um, I'm very excited to join you. My name is Justin Bullock. I am a third-year resident in internal medicine uh, at the University of California, San Francisco. And this piece that we're talking about right now, I wrote when I was an intern at UCSF. Great. Thank you. So in this piece and many other times on Twitter, you reference your history of mental illness going into intern year. Can you talk a little bit about your prior experiences with mental illness and how they prepared you or maybe didn't prepare you for intern year, both when things were going well um, and also when you hit the wall, kind of like you anticipated? Yeah. Mental illness is a very big part of my life. My father has bipolar disorder and has been quite ill at some times um, in his life from that. And 
I think my first sort of depression episode happened when I was in high school and and then again in college. Um, and college was the first time that I started actually seeking treatment um, and started seeing a therapist and saw a psychiatrist and started taking antidepressants for the first time. And then in medical school was when I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder um, after a suicide attempt. And that was sort of in the context of taking meds and going to therapy and like exercising a bunch and trying to do all these things that help my mental health, but still was like really, really struggling. And, and I think um, that in med school was the first time where I really started being very open about having mental illness and sort of sharing that experience with my peers. And that became something that I felt very proud of. Um, and it sort of helped me find meaning in my mental illness. And so when I was coming to residency, I feel like I sort of accepted the fact that I have an episodic like mood condition and the 20s is like the prime time for bipolar disorder to be very active. And that residency is at times like too demanding. And so yeah, to me, all those things together made me feel like there's probably a pretty high probability that I would have some some issues during residency. Mm-hmm. When you first found out, what was your reaction? Kind of how did you think about it and process it? Yeah, so the bipolar diagnosis was actually in some ways like kind of reassuring because it explained a lot of things that didn't make sense because like I was in a period where I like like was sleeping like 90, like only 90 minutes and was like getting very angry. And when I would get really angry, I would go on like an angry 22 mile run. And I'm a middle distance runner. I am not a long distance runner. So that is, that is very long to me. (laughs) And just like a lot of things that like, I felt very, had a lot of energy that felt kind of very explosive that, yeah, I didn't, that was very different from what I'd had in the past. So in that sense, the bipolar diagnosis kind of made sense. And and looking back through my life, it makes sense as well. I definitely had periods where I was like, you know, sort of more sped up than the people around me. I think the harder thing for me to accept was just having mental illness at all. You know, I think in in college, I really was very like profoundly depressed and was sleeping like 16 to 18 hours a day. It was like very like crying a bunch, like had a lot of thoughts of hurting myself, like really just like very miserable. And despite all that, I think, you know, for me to like sort of accept that I had a mental illness and I think I knew that I was not okay, but I didn't want to accept that like I needed to take meds. And, you know, part of that was, you know, within myself and my own stigma that I had. And part of it was like my family saying like, Justin, you shouldn't take meds. Like once you get on them, you're never going to get off them. Um, like you're already smart. They're gonna, it's going to mess with your head and really like feeling conflicted about that. And actually my college track coach, um, I got to a point where I was going to withdraw from MIT because I really was like doing very badly. And I thought I was kind of going to ruin my chances of going to med school and all these things. And I went to tell my track coach, um, about this. And he basically was like, he said to like, come talk with him. And at this time, and I'm also gay. And a lot of my like, one of the things I was fixated on was the, um, a relationship that had gone badly. And I really was like, not very excited about telling our track coach, because if you meet him, he's a very, he's a, he's a great, he, I, I think very high of him, but he's like a manly man. He's like from South Carolina. He, he's sometimes like on the track with these like sleeveless shirts. He's like super jacked and, you know, he's like a, a man. <laughs> um, and, you know, I thought that he was gonna sort of not respond well to like what I was going to talk about. And, He's, he's someone who is very, like, he's a problem solver. And, like, so when I told him, like, 
you know, basically I have, dep- I have depression, um, but I'm thinking about leaving MIT. He's like, have you seen like a psychiatrist? And I was like, yes. He's like, did they tell you to take meds? I was like, yes. He's like, have you taken meds? I was like, no. He's like, why not? Um, and, it, <laughs> and it was like the first time that anyone who I like anyone who was not a mental health professional that I knew um, told me to take meds. And he was very much like, this is just so obvious. Like, why would you not do this? Like obvious solution. And like retrospectively, it, it does. It, but it was really hard. And so, yeah, I think that was a huge life changing like moment for me. And once I started taking meds, like over the course of months, I got better. And, and then once I actually got better, I think it made it very clear, like how not well I was. And in terms of you're very open about sharing it, it sounds like with your peers pretty early on. How was that something that just came easy to you? Or how did you start opening up to people about mental illness and kind of sharing without fear, perhaps judgment? Mm-hmm. So the first time that I ever shared anything was actually still when I was in college at MIT because they MIT has a really bad suicide problem. And I think the same with medicine. You put high achieving people in like high intensity situations and like make it so that people are afraid of like getting help and people kill themselves. And um, one of the things the Institute tried to do to sort of destigmatize this was they had this day where seven people or something like five or seven people shared an experience of some struggle at MIT. And I talked about my sort of struggle with mental illness with like the thousand person freshman class, which in some ways was, in some ways is like easier to share with a lot of people who you don't know. And then when I went to med school, UCSF has this day called Mental Illness Among Us, where basically similar, like four members of the first year class share with their class, their story of mental illness. And I would say in comparison to what I shared at MIT, what I shared at UCSF was much darker and like very suicidal sounding. And I kind of, I wrote it and I said, like, I'm not seeking help. Like I'm not asked, it's not a cry for help, but I'm just like sharing a very intimate part of myself. And it was different to like share with you know, the people who you like are in class with every single day and like your friends, some who know, some who don't. And like people who are your, this is your like professional circle. And I felt kind of, you know, I, it was, there's some weight to like disclose this in the way that I did. And after I shared, I feel like I just had so much support from so many people who I think a lot of people were surprised because I, I think I hide it pretty well. Um, and I was like doing well in med school. And, you know, I'm, I'm sort of like very talkative, super extroverted, like um, a lot of things that maybe you don't classically associate with someone who's depressed. And yeah, a lot of people like told me that they either like resonated personally with it or it really opened their eyes because like it challenged what they, the image of what they have, someone who looks like with depression. And so kind of from there, it just like was a snowball. And it was like, you get, you get positive feedback about it and it just like keeps going and going and going. And it, and it, and it, while it never is like, it always, it's hard in different ways, but it gets, it definitely gets easier. And now it's kind of like, it's kind of like one of my greeting things. Hi, I'm Justin. I'm bipolar. You know, (laughs) like within one day of knowing me, you probably know. Yeah. I love that. I love that you mentioned that it's, it challenges the way people think about depression because I think especially in medical school, we're taught like mnemonics, right? Like psychic caps mm-hmm. are taught things of how typical depression looks like just to help us identify it in patients. But it really is so different from person to person, um, especially in a high achieving population like medical students. So I love that you talk about how expectations of you um, are different than reality and kind of, mm-hmm. you know, using your story to challenge that. And 
this question might be a little bit broad, but I guess what advantages do you think your journey with uh, mental illness since college has given you? Like kind of how have you grown from it? So first I'll say like in, for bipolar in particular, um, I think it's a super fascinating disease because it is very clearly adaptive at some times in my life. I have definitively benefited from periods where I'm like sleeping a little bit less than everyone else and like able to like focus more and like can work a little bit faster. And like, so for instance, I recently went through a period of being sped up and um, I signed up for a marathon and I was training like super, super, super hard and like feeling really good. And like with my doc, and I, I was aware of like that was happening in my like psychiatrist, like we were like really like super heavily medicating me. And eventually like one day this it, like broke basically. And it's like, a, like me running into a wall. And I basically, and like, it was crazy because I was literally like, phys- like I was run, I was training. I felt like good and I was training much, much, much harder. And, and it, like very quickly, like I couldn't. And so I think if that's true physically, that's definitely true mentally that, that I have these periods where I can like really like ramp up my intensity. And the problem with that is inevitably you crash after, especially if you, you know, if you're not like really aggressively medicating like in these periods, I, for me, I get depressed right after. So, so I think there's first that like biological benefit that is like very interesting to both experience and to read about. And then I think more broadly, I know for a fact that being bipolar has made me a better doctor because one, I've had so many patients who like share in the experience of mental illness and often see that other providers are not attuned to it in the same way and don't sort of respond to people in the same way. And like the language they use is not language that I would find helpful for myself. And, you know, I feel like I've shared some with some in some very intimate moments around mental illness with patients um, and I'm an internal medicine doctor, you know, like I really value that, you know, I think it's, it's, I think it's made me more aware of like the patient experience. Like I've been hospitalized many times and like, I know what it's like to be a patient and I know how frustrating it is to be a patient. And I know that I've experienced some things that like when your team, you know, your medical team comes by for like four minutes a day and like you forget to ask a question, um, then you don't see them until the next day. That's very frustrating. And sometimes like learning to apologize about those things to patients and, and, um, in a, in a way that I think in medicine, I feel I feel that we don't do it that often. Like we don't acknowledge the ways that we are maybe not the best care providers for people. So that, and then lastly, I think I have done so much therapy in my lifetime. And I think, I think it actually makes me deal with challenging situations better. Like I feel like I am very aware of emotions within myself very aware of my responses to things, very aware, like when other people are not handling their emotions well. And like when people, sometimes it's like, this is a you problem, not a me problem. Um, and like, and like <laughs> therapy has allowed me to see that. Um, and also see like, you know, I, I kind of know the things that I get hung up on. And so I think just that understanding of myself helps me to one, avoid situations that are toxic for me in the hospital Two, like advocate for things I need for myself. And then three, like honor when I like need space or need time. Yeah, that's great. And I love that. I think I've heard so many physicians say to their patients, like, oh, I also like broke my knee last year. I also like suffer from like this autoimmune disease that you have. But like, rarely have I heard physicians say like, oh, I also, you know, have bipolar or disorder or I have depression and I understand. So I think that's super powerful to be able to say that to a patient. Yeah. And just to say to that, like, I just very recently started 
kind of disclose, like I've been very open with my peers for a very long time. And I've always been super hesitant with patients. I'm always like, am I sharing for me? Am I sharing for them? Like, how are they going to like, is this going to like sort of negatively impact our like relate like our relationship? And I've sort of been recently trying, like disclosing when I feel like it's like relevant. You know, I've had patients who are considering SSRIs who like know that they're depressed and like know that they're like super like crying all the time and miserable and all those things. And still like just like there's a, just a barrier to them like being ready to like start meds. And I've literally said like I have taken this exact medication and like everyone's different, but like this is my experience with it. And I and that actually has people have responded very, very well to that. And I think it is very it like normalize it. It's like sometimes you you know, sometimes you need to take meds and like I'm I'm right here next to you and sometimes I need to take meds too. Um or I need to take meds all the time. But um uh <laughs> um yeah. Yeah, I feel like I would definitely trust a doctor who said I like I personally like can vouch for this like medication or therapy because I, you know, subscribe to it. Um and I think that's incredible that you mentioned like thinking about am I doing this for myself? You know, am I disclosing? So like, could you expand on that a little bit more? Like what are your thoughts on, you know, your, your, your reasons for why you share it and how sharing it for yourself has helped you? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, so sometimes you have these moments where you are emotionally affected um, by something a patient says or a certain situation, a certain situation. And sometimes we share things inappropriately, like in a way that helps discharge our emotions, but it doesn't necessarily help the patient. And so like, that's the question I'm always like, okay, so who is this for? And, and if I believe, and sometimes, sometimes it can be both, right? Like sometimes it can feel good for me to share something and it also like help a patient, which is kind of the ideal situation. So for instance, like I've had patients like in the hospital who are like, like quite soon, like post-suicide attempt who I like resonate with for whatever reason. But oftentimes that's not the best time to tell someone because like people are kind of on their own journeys and it kind of. I've had situations where it didn't feel like it was the right, like, even if I like shared in the type of suicide attempt that they had done that I, you know, that, that it, it didn't, it, it didn't feel like the patient was in a place or I was, or we were together in a mutually like good place for it to help in comparison. Like, you know, as I said, like, you know, I had a time to recently in clinic where, where I, where I, where I said, you know, where this person who, who really was like clearly like, like the math was adding all up it was just like hard for them to ex- like accept that the treatment would could help them or you know and i and i and and we, we don't know because you know like with a lot of these psychiatric medications like they work for some people they don't work for other people you kind of play around for a little bit but just like sort of i think in that for me that person was like pre-contemplative or contemplative and like you know it was like very close to ready to change a behavior but like and and i feel like that my hope was that sharing would you know bump Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <That's true. laughs> that was the perfect click tone. <laughs> the elements of SIG E caps, a mnemonic for the diagnostic criteria for depression loss of sleep, loss of interest, guilt loss of energy, loss of concentration, loss of appetite, psychomotor retardation, and suicidality. Feel miserable at best and maybe lethal at worst. It's the second S that gets me. Jump. I knew the first time it drifted through my mind that my suicide would be by jumping. 
I would bike to the Golden Gate Bridge and put a free sign on my bike. The jump would have to be quick. I would not want anyone to talk me down. I plan what to do with my money and belongings. I'm starting to get depressed, I told my sister emotionlessly. She began to cry, probably flashing back to the last time I was severely depressed, attempted suicide, and ended up in the ICU. I told her I was sad that my two-year-old niece wouldn't remember me. Do you think I would ever let her forget you? She responded. We both cried. She knows my depression as well. Her unconventional response brought me back to reality. So you share some deeply personal moments, including planning your own death and confiding in your sister. But you also, in other parts of this piece, issue some pretty clear calls to action for hospitals and medical education programs. And I'm curious, who was your intended audience for this piece? And what do you hope they take away from it? I tried to write this to a few different people. I definitely tried to write it to the me's out there, to the people who are really struggling and basically just to to say like, you're not alone and kind of to like put it out there because I feel like a lot of pieces that I've read in sort of these large profile journals, like people sort of, sort of they approach suicide, but then they like turn away. So they say like, as soon as they say they've had thoughts about hurting themselves, then they kind of like go to like, and then I got better. And that for me was always disappointing because suicide alley is not uncommon. And there are clearly many people who are killing themselves in medicine and we don't talk about it. And so, so yeah, there was a lot of like to the people who are struggling, who are like, don't have voices. And, uh, and also like, this is a piece that I've wanted to write for a long time. And I was like sort of afraid to do it before I started residency because I didn't want it to like mess up my match. And, you know, I felt like that people that some programs could would look down on me because of it. And as the end of the piece we'll get to, I had a friend who um, killed himself and I kind of really regretted that I hadn't sort of written this sooner because I'd written some before and submitted to a different journal and didn't get accepted. And then I kind of gave up for a while. And not that this piece would have like, I don't like not this would have saved this person, but like, I don't know. It's just something I just, I, it was a weight that a burden that I sort of, it's, it's, it's interesting that I hold on myself because I also like a lot of parts of my suicidality are within myself and like not necessarily things that other people can control. I don't believe that compl- it's not completely independent of environment, but there are some parts that are, that are still within me. So that was one group. Um, another group was definitely to kind of just like medicine in general, like to say like, we are here, like there, there, like they, like there are many people like me that are struggling. And throughout this piece, I, I talk about a, a, another resident who I talk with, who, says, you know, who shares that, like, he knows many of my co-residents who are struggling. And, like, no one was talking about it. You know, everyone's just like, intern year's hard, you know, we know it's a rough time of year. But then just like, they sort of just accept it and then move on. And for me, that, like, the fact that we accept that people are just broken during intern year is a problem. And so I wanted to sort of highlight that fact, too, that, like, there are so many of us who are, like, being beaten down. Yeah, and then I think the last is, like, in this time, I was very grateful for my like loved ones around me who had learned my depression. You know, like my sister who says this, like this thing that like 
most people would never ever say right like i said to her like i'm gonna kill myself i'm sad my niece is gonna miss like not know me and she's like even if you kill yourself like i will continue to love you and i will like continue to guarantee like i will like 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 my niece will know who i am because like because i know that you're suffering and like i won't think less of you if you kill yourself because i've seen you suffer for so long and i think that's like such a bold thing to say. And it was like the perfect thing to say because it was, uh, it was her acknowledging like the reality of my suicidality and her saying like, and I knew what, and in, in, in saying it, she's like, I want you to live, but I don't want you to live for me. Like, so that you won't hurt me. And for some reason, like her taking that burden off of me just made it so much better in that moment. And it was the first time, and that was, that was the time where I was like, wow, you actually, like, you get it. And I was just so, and that, that like, act of love, I just wanted to share with everyone because I think that's, that is never in a training of any other trainings that we've had about what to do in the moment. Like, no one would ever say that. Um, so, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, I feel like it is obviously very powerful to, read yeah. in the piece but it really comes to life when you talk about it and and what that experience was like so thank you so much for sharing that yeah that was definitely one of my favorite like the paragraphs of what your sister said to you stood out and I think when in medicine we're taught so many phrases how to phrase things how to you know what questions do you have like open-ended questions I think it's just refreshing to hear something that's just so like raw and like you said, like that kind of love um, mm-hmm. that doesn't feel scripted. Yeah. And I guess in that sense, in what ways has, you know, having bipolar disorder and experiences mm-hmm. with depression and suicidality changed the way you approach and experience your medical training? Like, did you ever consider psychiatry as a career, you know, things like that? Yeah. Yes, I definitely have. I did consider psychiatry. I think the brain is so fascinating. Um I could not be a psychiatrist because I am too emotionally activated around people who have similar like issues with me. And so like in third year, it was definitely hard. I'm pretty good at like stuffing emotions down like in the moment, but, but I, but I felt very like triggered by some things. So I think, so in that sense, yeah, like that, it made me think it's important, but not feel like I can do psychiatry. And then I guess broad, more broadly, it's impacted me in medicine because I have had, as I said before, I had a suicide attempt when I was an intern, um, actually after I wrote this piece, um, three months later, and basically faced a lot of stigma in coming back to work. So as I said, like my providers thought I needed more time off. And so I took that time and got cleared to return to work by a therapist and a psychiatrist and um, still had to go through this really invasive fitness for duty assessment. And in that assessment, they really like asked me about all of my like past trauma. They made me release all of my psychiatric records. They like drug tested me. Like I have no history of substance use disorder. Like did this like personality test. Like all these things that really like I felt violated me as a person and really were very traumatizing. Also because I was just recovering from a suicide attempt. And basically they did it in the name of like, so I my argument was always 
I have never had any workplace issues and you all are forcing me through this assessment. I literally called out of work for multiple days before this happened. Like this was not associated with the hospital at all. And they said, because I had a condition which could impact my cognition, it was legal for them to do this. And I really was quite devastated actually, because before up to this point, I'd had actually a very positive experience around my mental illness. And like, when I wrote this New England Journal piece, like my institution, like praised me so much about it. And then when I actually had the condition that I wrote about, they clearly were not praising me. And I felt like the people who I expected to stand up for me didn't. And so overall, it's just very, very, very traumatic. And that definitely has impacted my relationship with medicine now. I think, you know, I say this, a lot of people have warned me for a while that something like this would happen. And it's really, it's really shocking because I would say like, I think the med school at UCSF is exceptional with these things. And even when I had a suicide in med school, I was really supported. You know, I was like appropriately like, you know, like guided and coming back to work after I had a suicide attempt then. And, you know, I think that I was allowed to like thrive still in med school. And I was, and it was very different for residency. I think there was a lot more of like the health system trying to sort of protect themselves. And so for me, it was very disappointing because I have a very idealistic view of medicine. And I think that the stigma that we have is about mental illness, which is the, I think it's specifically around bipolar, that like the hypomanic or manic side, um, I think is very disappointing. And despite all that negativity, I fought very, very hard against this. And the university is making a lot of changes from the advocacy of like, and not just me, it was like with my peers. We had this like petition that like over 600 residents signed from like 18 different departments and like have like had all these meetings with all these leadership people. And so hopefully it'll be better for other people in the future. But I think that like for a while kind of dimmed the like fire blaze that I had for medicine. And I'll say now I'm sort of relearning to find that love in different ways and like and and refining my love for medicine and and also, I say now, I feel very, very open to be as open as I want about bipolar because literally every single person in the entire like <laughs> UCSF world, if you want to know, like you will know, there's been like so much like, you know, we've had a lot of like, I've like been a lot of like articles about this and that, whatever. And so now I get to just be Justin because like, I'm like, well, you already know, you already did this super invasive investigation and found that I was taking my meds and I was going to therapy that I was doing everything that I was supposed to be doing. And I just have a medical condition that like flares. And so despite all the bad stuff that I just said, yeah, I think it, I think I feel actually really free and, and applying for fellowship. Like it's in my, it's in my like personal statement. It's in my like publications. I talk about it with people all the time. I get to just like be Justin now. Yeah, so I I kind of read a couple of articles and your tweets about having to go through that like really rigorous month long fitness for duty um, assessment last year and you know undergoing like personality tests and like these blood and urine tests in medicine. I feel like from day one they talk about professionalism, right? They talk about like how to act, how to set boundaries, and how to like take your feelings out of things. It's you know. And it sounds like reading your experiences, it was a struggle of like they were questioning not like who you were as a doctor and provider, but also who you were as a person. And like, you know, is that fair? Is that like, there's a lot of like, how do you intertwine those? Like, should you intertwine those? 
And it really seems like from what you just said that all of this has made you feel more free. So I think that's awesome. And that that's your like takeaway that I don't know, I guess, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, no, I think that first, professionalism is a very like, contentious topic to me (laughs) in medicine. And I, I feel like one of the things that I felt really disappointed about is I was like, so first in this, I attempted suicide, but I also called 911. Um, and it's the first time that I've ever gotten myself to the hospital. And for me, that's a huge, huge win. And I felt like no one like acknowledged that. And like, obviously, yes, I would prefer to have not tried to kill myself. But given that I did, I thought it was actually progress. And I think that that got lost in this. And I also like didn't go, I hadn't been working for multiple days before this happened. So I feel like I had done everything I could to keep patients safe, you know, and like I had tried to like, you know, yeah, I, I felt like I had been very quite proactive. And, and, and yeah, I think that we, we being medicine really, there's a very fixed mindset of like what a doctor should be. And I guess what I would say is like, I think that we've proven that this model does not work. We have all these health disparities. We have all these people who like are not getting the care they need, who are not, who don't feel safe with their providers, you know, and I just, I, I refuse to believe that. I think it's a privilege to like not have to think about who you are, like in being a doctor in medicine. I think most of us who have any type of marginalized identity at all, be it like, you know, like women have to think about how they present like as doctors in medicine, like black people have to, present, you know, like any, like whatever, like gay people, people with disabilities, you know, like, any, like literally any, any not like baseline, normal doctor characteristic. And I guess what I would say is, I think that we spend a lot of time trying to keep that aspect of ourselves out of medicine. And I think that that's bad. I think that those are the things that we should be bringing to medicine. I think those are the things that like make me a good doctor and make me like more able to be empathetic and understand people who are different from me. And like all, you know, like I, I and, and, and like that, and it's interesting because like that's not considered professionalism. Like bringing yourself to medicine is not considered professionalism. And I think it actually should be. Like as a gay person, if I have a doctor who clearly knows how to talk to like gay talk, it makes a huge difference. I feel way more comfortable being open with them. And like we don't talk about that. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's a lot of <laughs> what I feel as well. And I think thinking about all these struggles in the medical field, um, and I had prepared this question kind of ahead of time, but. I think hearing you speak now, it really sounds like you are committed to change in the medical field, which is amazing. But have you ever had thoughts about, you know, leaving the medical field or like what keeps you going and pulls you to stay and continue practicing? Yes, um, I have definitely, definitely thought about leaving medicine. I thought about leaving my residency two years ago and was like pretty serious. And like, I talked with a mentor who basically said, Justin, leave when you're on top, not when you're on the bottom. Um, and I'm actually glad she said that. I think that was very good advice. At the time, I was kind of like, mm, I'm like that advice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that one of the big things for me is so many of us give so much of ourselves to medicine and then find that it really just like dumps us out when it's convenient. And that's really sad to me because there's so many people who are like so much more brilliant than me who've left medicine because they've been in like toxic environments and it's sort of like always this challenge of do I want to try to, I actually was talking to someone about this today. Do I want to make change like in the system or outside of the system? And 
I think I still, and I think like I'm trying to like position myself so I'm like slightly outside, but still close enough to like. <laughs> but like, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see. This is a. Uh, I will say now the the biggest change that I've made over the last couple years of residency is, I've really questioned a lot of like who am I without being a doctor, and I think we're encouraged to like really take on this like professional identity formation of like becoming a physician and that like being who we are and like med school promotes that because like you don't have time to talk to other people residency you definitely have time to, you know like say they're like you just like you go like 10 years where you don't have time to talk to anyone else except for people who are in medicine it's like hopefully you found a partner before you started because like you know although i am recently in a relationship so um so you know there's hope <laughs> um but yeah i think you can very easily lose yourself and and I think when that happens, then you're sort of stuck with medicine. The other thing I will say, as I was going through all this stuff and it was getting like kind of ridiculous, I'm like, Justin, you have like a hundred degrees. You study engineering, you did a public health degree and you all, you know, like you can find another job. Like this is not the only job that you will have, like you could have for the rest of the, you know, your life. And that actually was like kind of grounding, but I was like, you know, there are other options in the world. I had one last day of work before vacation. I was pretty sure I wouldn't make it through the weekend alive. My chief's email ran through my mind. Call out of work and stay home if you are ill or have a family emergency, emotional distress, or medical appointment. I was pretty sure this counted as emotional distress. After calling out of work, I scheduled an emergency appointment with my therapist. He, my psychiatrist, and I decided that I needed to be admitted to a psychiatric hospital to quickly adjust my medications to keep me safe. So I went to the hospital. This was the first time in my many depressions that I've been successful in not hurting myself. I take pride in my admission to the psychiatric hospital and wrote most of this while hospitalized. In the short time since my release, I reflect on the factors that either enable me and others to get help or prevent us from doing so. I have a disease that unsurprisingly flared during my intern year. Thanks to long-term therapy, I develop many coping skills and in some ways have an advanced ability to navigate my disease. I continue weekly therapy during my intern year, and it was the reason I went to the hospital. It should be easy for all trainees to go to therapy, but I have friends at other programs for whom it has been challenging or even frowned upon. Our lives are worth more than the two hours we are gone each week. It's really interesting because I clearly, three months later, I attempted suicide. And so I wrote this before all that had happened. Right. So often in medicine, we are so focused on taking care of other people, almost at the expense of taking care of ourselves and really addressing our own past trauma and demons. How did you and how do you currently prioritize self-care throughout these various phases of training where, you know, you seem to have so little time for yourself? I have always tried to be relentless about my mental health care. I've literally gone to therapy like every single week for 10 years. I'm sure I've like missed a few weeks, but like, uh, <laughs> but like at some points I was going to therapy three times a week in medical school, which is crazy. But like, I think first that's just like my, that's just like my, that's like my, my like miles, you know, you just gotta, I just like there, I need it to just like stay like grounded and healthy in me. And like, even when things are good, even when things are bad, that has been very life changing. And, you know, I, th I think 
talking about bipolar, my bipolar has really, as I said before, like helped me find so much community and given me a lot of meaning and like given me a lot of happiness. And yeah, I definitely like, I don't know that I would still be in medicine if, if I weren't, it's interesting. I don't know if I still would be in medicine if I were not bipolar. I can't imagine my life without it. So I don't know, I can't really say that, but um, so, and then I think the last thing I would say is exercise has honestly is, is like a very, very big part of my life. Even though I'm not in as great of shape as my dream shape would be, um, you know, like doing things like I like run commute and I'm lucky to like live in a city that's small enough to where I can like do that and like run to the hospital as like a way to like squeeze in some miles during the day, because I feel like I just feel bad when I'm not exercising. And so I think it's like me trying to do all these things that just like my maintenance, it's like, you know, some like you, like I need a very, I have a very high need for just like my baseline things. And then the thing that I struggle with and I always continue to like try and do better is like learning how to step back when I'm like decompensating. And that's really hard. That's like, that's like the thing that I am working on. I will say I recently, and I like, I actually don't really share, I haven't really shared, I mentioned this before, but I recently had a period of hypomania and this is the first mood episode I've had since that like suicide attempt. And I was very, this is, this is the first time that I've ever felt that I had to hide it. And that was really disappointing to me because I felt like I was like back in the closet, but I, what I'm really proud of is I did a really good job of like, we caught it early and I was like slammed with drugs, um, <laughs> which, was, <laughs> which was unfortunate, but helpful. Um, <laughs> and, and I think because I was like really proactive and really like, uh, and really like, not just honest, but like honest with myself, like, and say like, okay, Justin, I'm, I'm clearly sped up. Like, let's just like, get like fix this now. And then my doc, my like doctors just like really, I don't know. So I, so I think that's what I'm like working on getting better at is like really being very responsive very early and not letting things get out of control. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit more about, I feel like you've mentioned a few times now, like these like small wins or like milestones for you, like catching a mood episode early or calling 911. Can you just talk a little bit more about like, those experiences what that felt like and that process it's a good question we are trained to do this with our patients all the time when you talk about like behavioral change or anything you're like Mm -hmm. you went from smoking 20 cigarettes to 15 like that's (laughs) awesome like good job like please like you know like Mm -hmm. we are but we don't do that for ourselves ever and we're always like well yeah but like i still could have like done better you know like whatever and i think that there's you know I'm not a mindful person, but I have been exposed to mindfulness practices. And like, I think one of the concepts of mindfulness is like, uh, and, and and also in, in this um, form of therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, um, which often includes a lot of mindfulness, uh, accepting things as they are now and like existing in the moment and change, changing the things that you can in the future. So you, so it's this sort of, in DBT, they talk all the time about this, like di- the dialectic is like two things that seem to be opposed sort of working together acceptance and change and and i think that these small wins are me like saying justin like you you called 911 like you literally like you did like you didn't have anyone else help you like you actually did that you know and change is like okay but let's let's try to not get to the place where you like try and kill yourself and 
Yeah. So, and same thing with like, it's interesting because part of like being bipolar is if you look at, if anyone shows you a graph bipolar, it's like up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And that's like normal. That is part of what being bipolar is. So having a mood episode is not like, it's not a failure. It's like part of the disease process. And like, we always think of it as a failure. Like meta, like I felt like I was treated like I had failed when I was just like, this literally just happened. I, mean, like, I didn't, I mean, if you want to talk about who failed, it was the residency program who had me flipping between nights and days, nights and days. Like that's who failed me. Um, but anyways, so, you, but I accept that I have the mood episodes. I accept them, but I also do the things that I can to try and prevent them from happening. So basically I like fight, I like push to get the accommodations that I need so that way I'm not flipping back and forth nights and days, nights and days. So that way I don't have like these mood episodes as often. So yeah, I'm trying to, I'm, and I'm a very self-critical person, but there are also sometimes you're like, this actually was a victory and you cannot take that from me. Like these, those people can never take the fact that I called 911, that I got myself to the hospital. No one can ever take that from me because I am proud of that. And I will always be proud of that. That's something that needs to be highlighted a lot. Like just those small wins, like that sometimes that very often get ignored or overlooked in the grand scheme of things so and i guess this is more of a very very existential question but what makes life worth living for you i think that's such a good question i feel very fortunate and like blessed to like get to do the things that i have done and am doing you know like we talked about a bunch of these things during this podcast but like when I was in college, running track made life worth living. I had so, like, it really was, like, so meaningful to me. And, like, I honestly don't really know what else I did in college besides run track. And, like, MIT is a D3 school. We are not, like, you know, <laughs> out here, like, <laughs> elite athletes by any means. But, like, being with my team made, like, you know, like, this is so random. But I, I had one, I was a captain on track team. And at, when I was a senior, everyone knows I'm, like, very much, like, like all for the team. But there was a senior who basically was thinking about quitting the team because he wanted to like have fun his senior year. And it's kind of like unusual for people to quit senior year, but this person had like kind of had a rough time and whatever. And I just remember feeling so happy and proud that he felt like comfortable telling me that he wanted to quit. And I actually thought he should because he wanted to go like be happy. And I didn't think he was happy. And like, so like that type of stuff makes life for a living. I feel like my family I moved to a place now where like, I don't live for my family, but they do make life worth living. And I think that's a big thing. I want to diff- I want to separate those two because I, I feel like I felt for a long time, a lot of pressure to like live for my family. And like, because if I kill myself, I'm going to hurt them all. And it's a very like, like you're avoid, you're like living to avoid doing something bad, which, which is like, which ends up just like sucking your soul even deeper. But like, you know, like I have two nieces and like, I love seeing them like get bigger and like they can like write sentences and like, you know, tell me what they did at school and like all these like just like little things that they're like joy. There's just like like happiness that like I feel very grateful to get to like witness. And I will say like to me, medicine makes life worth living. I won't I don't live for medicine. I, I hope I don't live for medicine anymore. I try really hard to not live for medicine. <laughs> but like I will say actually the suicide attempt. This last one, the reason why I called 911 is because I said, Justin, if you die, you won't ever get to be a doctor ever again. And that actually made me very sad. And, and, and like when I like, I love being with patients. I like love teaching. I love like getting to do the research that I get to do. Like, 
I honestly am like living my dream and I feel super lucky to get to do those things. And so the interesting thing about all this is like, you know, even when I'm super suicidal, the crazy thing is I still, I still know all those things. Like I know I love my family. I know I love like running, you know, I know I love medicine, da, 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 all stuff, but I'm just suffering so much more. And so like, yeah, I guess I, I just wanted to say that because it's not that I forget those things. I, I guess I can no longer feel like the love that they give me. And I guess the last thing I'll say that makes life for a living is like, I feel very proud of like being like kind of out there about my mental health stuff. Because, it, yeah, because it matters that because like fighting the good fight matters to me. That's the last thing that makes the life for a living is fighting the good fight. And you fight as long as you can. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at WBYIT underscore UWSMPH. We'll see you for our follow-up episode in two weeks. Have a nice day. Funding for What Brings You In Today is provided by the Kern Foundation.